Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Word on the Hill. My name is Dr. Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Musson. Have you looked at the readings yet? Uh, that's what I was, I, was, I was doing. Good. I was doing. This is, this, is a, this is how a lot of people actually experience the, the mass. Uh, the mass. <laughs> We're, um, we've changed Wait, our I'm location. <laughs> we've changed our location today. We, temporarily. Yeah, because... Um, what happened is that uh, the uh, there's a bunch of guys making boi- uh, boiler makers in my house right now. Oh my gosh, that's not true, Father Peter. They're, I mean, they're not nece- they're not technically boiler makers. They are they boiler makers? No, they're, no, they're boiler, boiler installers. installers. And Bing bong. Oh my gosh, Father Peter's has a number of renovations being done to his house, and so we are banished. Yeah. Actually, I like it here. I like kind of. This is more of a studio atmosphere. It does, except but for we it's have a, more it's, lunch at the other place, and it's a little more echoey. A little bit. That could be the equipment. I kind of like this this vibe. This feels like a studio. This feels like a podcast studio, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, well, this is a studio. Yeah, fancy uh, Scandinavian lights. They're not your, Scandinavian. They're Japanese, dog. You got your Scandinavian couch. I got some Scandinavian American furniture warehouse couches. Yeah, you your Scandinavian carpet. That is a everything Japanese hip and tree. modern seems Scandinavian to me. That's Japanese a, tree. And that's we watched tree. Walter Mitty last night, which has got me thinking. Of uh, Scandinavia? Is that whole region Scandinavia? No. I don't know. I Nordic. Remember, the Nordic region. My dad, when I was a kid, he actually had an advertising account for Scandinavian Punch. I don't know if you guys remember Scandinavian Punch. Not at all. Yeah, it dude. sounds like something that you wouldn't want to drink at a party. Dude, but dude, do not drink the Scandinavian punch. The man. Scandinavian punch. It will punch mess is you up. Messed up, dude. You know what I had the other day? Uh, I had a um, New York seltzer, dude. Do you remember New York seltzer? Did not you ever? At all. It was like this really sweet seltzer water. It was delicious. I drank high C. I remember that, dude. We drank all sorts of really like strange things. We had like this like soda delivery service. There we'd leave <laughs> bottles and they'd leave soda. A soda delivery service. Yeah, it was, was like the precursor like, to. Uh, what are those things called? Soda stream? Yeah, the soda stream. No, I mean, but it was like it was like soda pop. It was like root beers oh, and colas and that kind of And soda. it was like it was like the same day that the milk came, the soda came. <laughs> That's confusing. Dude. I've never heard of such a thing. I, I grew up in Boulder, not Denver. Yeah, I know. We were a whole different world here. We had different things delivered. And then we had the, the Blizzard of eighty two. It was amazing. Eighty two. I remember the Blizzard of eighty two. Dude, that was epic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of epic, it is Corpus Christi Sunday. Also known as the Solemnity of the Bloody and, bl- bloody and Blood of Christ. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Which is very exciting. We are, we are officially out of the Easter season. We've been out of the Easter season for a couple of weeks, right? Yes, we've been into ordinary was last, time. Was last Sunday the first? No, I mean, I know it wasn't the first Sunday of ordinary but was that the first Sunday out of Easter? Yeah, so what happened? Anything? Well, the first Sunday out of Easter, Easter is actually Ascension. Well, that was a couple of weeks ago. I'm I'm way behind. So what happens? You know is, why? Is it always goes? It always goes Ascension, Pentecost, so uh, up, Trinity, down, Christ, three. body, blood, body, blood. Got it. So up, those solemnities always follow each other. Yeah, so there's like so we've so been out for like four season. weeks. Yeah, I'm really behind. You know what threw me off? Tell me. We had a rerun last week. Oh, which so many people thought was a new episode. So our our friend Kim, our friends Kim and Phil Perez. Apparently, we gave a shout out to three years ago. And they were getting a bunch of phone calls from people. They're like, yeah, you got another shout out on the podcast. 
And dude, so he thanked me, and I was like, what? Dude, Guinea, you know what's awesome is that uh, for all of us, all things are new. I mean, mm, you really, you like, mm. like even the old has become new. Can I confess something? Tell me. I listened to this podcast from three years last, but... In I thought order, you said you'd never in do order, that. In order to find out if we could do, if it was possible to do another rerun, because we were supposed to be out of town, mm-hmm. and I listened to it, and I'm like, we can't replay this. This is <laughs> a terrible podcast. It really was. I mean, the bad. content was fine, but it was those days that we spent like ten minutes before we got into anything. Kind of like now. Yeah, which we're well on our way to doing. So the our first, first reading, reading is from yes Genesis. Genesis, the 14, beginning, eighteen to twenty. Mm, that's right, Melchizedek. Melchizedek. <laughs> Melchizedek. Melchiz. Our psalm reading is coming. Our response. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm one ten, verse one, two, three, and four. And our response itself is from four B. To be or for to be. Mm, good one. Thoughtful. Our second reading is First Corinthians eleven twenty three to twenty six. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. And then we have an incredibly long sequence. Really long sequence. Oh, and then there's a shorter form, which is like three lines. <laughs> anyway, uh, the gospel reading. Man, we Father Peter and I have spent a lot of time together, so he's not amused by anything I say anymore. <laughs> I know. I oh, always think that you're funny. Man, no, it's cool. Okay, our gospel I, I, reading. I, you know what, what was happening is I was trying to find the sequence, and, see you're my, out. and I didn't even see a sequence. You pulled a Walter Mitty. I or did. You, like you were somewhere else fighting. Major Tom. Fighting Ground me. control. That's not even close. And David Bowie just died. Have some respect. For Pete's sake. Our gospel reading is coming from Luke chapter 9, verse 11b through 17. Dude, I have to say, man, jumping into Genesis, oh, wow. this is one seriously short reading. All of them are actually pretty short, except for the sequence, which is absurdly long. <laughs> it is more than all of the other readings combined, combined together. Combined. I think it actually is. That makes me really smile. Yeah, it makes Mark Thomas smile. Yeah, he does. Smile. Mm, he should smile. All right. Well, what does one say about Melchizedek, dude? Yeah. Well, I, last Lots time, last time we were talking about um, this three years ago. Um, Did you listen to the podcast? No. All right. I, I remember we made a promise, a solemn pact. I don't think we made a pact. We said, "Hey, should we listen to the podcast?" Nah. It's <laughs> not a solemn pact. It's not legally binding. <laughs> anyway, continue. You're a funny guy. Thanks, man. Um, Melchizedek uh, is his name. The meaning of his name, since we're, I mean, literally, the first word is Melchizedek, king of Salem. In those days, in is the first word. Dude, not according to my New American Bible revised edition of uh, and the numbers, but the lectionary does the lectionary. change some stuff. It adds a it, adds a couple of things to yeah, contextualize, to in, it, which is in its right to do so. Mm-hmm. But so in no, those days, in those days, although it doesn't really contextualize anything, in those days, wait, which days? Doesn't which, matter. Just move on. <laughs> it was those days, a there. long, long time long, ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. Oh, we do have to. What, what are those days, though? So we do have to contextualize it a little bit before we get to okay. Melchizedek. Mel- Melchizedek comes after the kids of Noah. Well, ba- back up. Well, don't back. I mean, hold off on that. Okay. Because the what what we're in though, where we are in Scripture, the in the, the in those days is referring to we are in what's called one of the Abrahamic cycles of the of the book of Genesis. So Genesis is absurdly long, like the sequence. It's like 50-some <laughs> chapters, right? 50 chapters. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a long... It's huge. So there's this, the parts of Genesis that... Well, it's really split into two parts. So there's the primeval history, right? The creation of, of the universe, the creation of man, all that stuff. Um, 
and then you have Noah and the flood, and kind Which of all we, the, would, we would consider medieval history. I'm just oh kidding. Oh my gosh! You have primeval, and yes, then medieval, yes, yes, and yes, then yes, mostly yes. evil, and then fully <laughs> pretty evil, evil. <laughs> and then just sort of nice. <laughs> Um, yeah, but you get, you know, all the, basically the, the stories that are about all of humanity. Right. And then in chapter 12, everything changes and it zeroes in on one guy named Abram uh, who will become Abraham and it stays on his family really through the rest of the Bible, through the whole story of scripture. But what you have are a number of different cycles of the patriarchs. So it begins by giving you the whole story of Abraham and who he was and what happened, and then goes into Isaac, his son, right? And talks about Isaac, and then we go into Jacob, and then we go into the Jacob and Esau story, and then it ends with Joseph. So we get these long cycles of these individuals who, you know, the ancient Jews would look back and be like, well, these are the fathers of our faith, so we need to know their stories in order to know everything else. So we're in the beginning of that, which is the story of Abraham, right? And so Abraham, just to catch us up, when we're introduced to Abraham two chapters before this, he was this man who God called to to leave his family and his land and his kinspeople and everything behind and out of faith to follow after him to a land that he had not yet shown him. Right. So he basically said, pack up everything and follow me. And Abraham is held up as this model of faith because he does it against all odds, you know, in kind of spiritual blindness. He does this. And, and the one big thing in Abraham's heart is that he really wants to have a child. Right. And he and Sarah, his wife, are very old. And so they <laughs> haven't been able to have <laughs> is that Nelson from from The Simpsons? No, Sarah means she who laughed. Oh, I, Isaac means he laughs. Doesn't Sarah mean something? Not that. I'm just making stuff. I know up. it's Isaac because that's the child. She laughs at God for saying she's gonna have a child. Isaac. The child is named Isaac. <laughs> it's not really onomatopoeic, is it? No. You kind of want it to be. Isaac. 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 <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really work. Anyway, yeah, you, you can't really text that to anybody. No, you really can't. L O L O L. Lolo. L O L isn't really on a monopionic either. Anyway, that's not why you guys are listening to this. Well, maybe it is. We're weirdos. Who knows why you're you guys weird? Listen? You're weird. Anyway, uh, so Abraham's moving, right? He's on his way. He's doing his thing. He's shown to have this great faith. But I, I love it. And our friend Tom Smith, who's a great teacher, taught me a lot of Genesis. Uh, always. Um, uh, talked about Abraham's life as like a heart monitor, the constant up and down, right? Sometimes he's doing really well. Sometimes he's doing really poorly. Yep. And so God tells him to leave his family and everything and start moving, which he does, which is really Extended good. Extended family, not immediate family. Yeah, yeah. He takes his wife and his, you know, his household and stuff. And his many sons, because Father Abraham had many no, he sons. Does, we just many said sons that. He doesn't have Father Abraham. We just talked about this. He I doesn't know. have Oh, come on. Let's just be honest about what's happening in our minds with I'm the song that's, that's, that's playing. Well, he'll have many children later. I know. But for now, okay. but he does. What, what's the one bad thing that he does at the very beginning? Do you remember? So God says, leave behind your extended family and come after me. And he says, great. And he brings along his nephew, Lot. 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 Oh, yeah. There's a lot of problems there. Lot is the source of a lot of problems, to put it mildly. Dude, yes. Seriously, that dude is like, you know what I always think of is like, Lot is like a wandering dog. My father was a wandering European. Who gets into like trash and scatters it everywhere. That's what I think about when I think about yeah, Lot. And that's mean. You know, I, Lot does cause a lot of problems, though. I mean, like, he gets into it, man. He does. Well, here, so here's what just happened in the story that we get in Genesis. So um, they're going, 
And God shows him the land that they're kind of going to begin to settle. Okay. And he says to his nephew Lot, he's like, all right, well, here's, you know, let's split it in half. You can take the part that you want and I'll go in the other one. Lot's like, I'm going to take the good stuff over there. Yeah. So Lot takes all of his things and his cattle and all of his stuff. And he goes and settles and Abraham goes the other way. And he's like, all right, now we're not going to have any trouble anymore because there's been trouble. You know, there's, there's families are messy. So they have their thing. And then, of course, surprise, surprise, war breaks out over the territory that Lot chose because he chose the good stuff. And so all of these kings go to war against all these other kings. Lot gets caught in the crossfire, and he's captured by the kings. So Abraham's like, oh, man, now i got to go save Lot. And so we're told that Abraham has to go to battle with all of these kings who are fighting against all the other kings to save his nephew, right? Okay. What's weird is that in the story, it actually says that Abram, Abram has like 300 men fighting with him. And you're like, what? Where did all these people come from? Yeah, dude. What like, is I know the, he had some servants and stuff. But actually, in the Jewish tradition, it actually suggests that because Abram is so taken with God and his plan and following after him, the tradition, the Jewish tradition, suggests that Abram has been actually converting people along the way. Oh. And more people have joined with him because they see this man who's doing something profound, and they're like, wow, I'm moved by that. I want to follow after you. Which, you know, I don't know for sure, but it, it's interesting. So Abram, because remember, the, the, the job of the people of God from the beginning of salvation history was never to be insular. It was never to be about themselves. It was about being the light to the world, right? right. Being the salt of the earth, the city on a hill, which is what Jesus calls all of us to. But that was what they were called to in the beginning. And so Abram presumably might be doing that. So anyway, he's got 300 men. They go to battle. Abram, this nobody guy who's got, you know, some, some folks with him. Totally. He defeats all of the kings of the world who are fighting against all the other kings of the world. And so if Abram defeats all the kings, fighting all the other kings, that makes Abram... King of kings. The king of all the kings, right? The king of the hill. The king of the heap. King of the, king of the mountain. The king of the... Uh, the king... King a la king. Mm, mm, the king qua king. Yeah, so he's... Which is pretty unlikely. I mean, these are powerful kings with full armies. He's got a bunch of ragtag folks, which... Again, in the Jewish mindset, you're not like, oh, man, look at how powerful Abram is. Right. You're like, wow, God miraculously intervened to give this guy, who had no chance of victory, the victory. And we read Scripture wrong whenever we read it in any eyes other than that. Because Scripture's never been a story about the most powerful winning and doing all these great things. The story of Scripture is always the least powerful submitting themselves to God and God fighting the battles. Yes. That's the story of David and Goliath. That's the story of Israel. That's the story of Abram. And the times that Israel has her greatest downfalls is when she thinks she has all the power mm. and she's going to win the battles and she forgets that it's actually God who fights on our behalf. <sighs> and that, that's really what's happening here. Yeah, so, absolutely. So here's what's strange. And that's where we come into the, the crux of this story. So in those days, literally the days when Abram has just won this battle, Abram defeated all the kings against all the other kings, so he's the king of the kings. And this guy, someone named Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And being a priest of God Most High, he blessed Abram with these words, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your foes into your hand. And then Abram give him a tenth of everything. Dude, I, I mean, this whole time I've been looking at Abraham and like how he's been approaching everything, and I always thought he was pretty tenth. Really? I thought you I you didn't have your normal I'm going to make a sarcastic comment face. You had your I'm about to make a profound statement. Face. I know you were like you're like, "Ooh, I'm excited for the you you kind of got like but come on, a tenth of everything. Whenever you hear a tenth, dude, it's like don't be so tenth about everything. 
Jeez. All of the people with lift are going to send us angry emails. <laughs> Dude, they're just, they just took a cue from the Spaniards. Span, Spain. Barcelona. Barcelona. Let's take a trip to Barcelona. Anyway. Um, oh my gosh. So he gave, my he, gosh, gave, he, gave him, me. he gave him a tenth of everything. Which, which means this, mel, this mysterious Melchizedek figure. He's giving something religious, actually. Like a tithe would be a religious expression, or is it, is it a taxation expression? Well, well, is he saying, like, you're my king? Yes. But but here but here's why there's a caveat to that. Yeah, I mean the, the simile answer says you tithe to someone greater than you. Right. Right. So we give to the church, which is giving to God ultimately. But tithing was it was a political act first and foremost. I mean you would give a tribute. A tribute is another word for this, right? To okay. a king who you wanted to fall under the, the the protection of, so to speak. Right. But what we can't forget is that in the early world there, there's no separation between the spiritual and the political. You know, religious leaders are political leaders. Political leaders are religious leaders. There, there's no distinction. So, even even your point, you know, it is a it's a spiritual thing, but it's also a political thing. It's it's a both and, and because it says this Melchizedek is a king and he's also a priest, right? He's the king of Salem, but he's also a priest of God Most High. But what's fascinating is that Abraham is ju- Abram has just defeated all the kings, but apparently there is someone who's even greater than all of them. Because Abram's not the top of the heap. There's someone higher than him, and it's this Melchizedek guy because he's giving him a tenth of everything. Absolutely. So what do we know about Melchizedek? Well, we know that he's the king of Salem. What does Salem mean in Hebrew? Do you remember? Assalamu uh, so, uh, alaikum. Assalamu <laughs> uh, alaikum. Uh, no, it, it's peace. Shalom, yeah. So he's the king of peace. Why do I, why do I think I'm so funny? You like, are funny. I just think you that are. I'm funny, man. You're funny. Okay. You were at the very beginning of the podcast, though, so I derailed you to get some context in here. Absolutely. You, you were, you, you, I mean, uh, w- w- what are we looking for? We're looking for, whenever we're going through the Old Testament, is we're looking for the trail of the blessing of God. Right. <laughs> so, and, and so and so so i mean ever since ever since noah got hooked up we're we're saying like where are noah's sons because there's hem shem and japheth right ham ham and it's yeah shem ham and japheth because you'd always speak in terms of the oldest to the youngest why do i say ham shem because you're hungry oh i am hungry <laughs> I, dude i have i seriously you have you had some like really horrible popcorn. What do you present. mean horrible popcorn, dude? It's like it's, it's cheddar popcorn and caramel popcorn all mixed together. Yeah, dude, in I a want, giant Costco bag. Dude, Are you I, kidding me? I what want could one possibly or the be other. Better? I want one or the other. You don't deserve any of my popcorn. You're right. In that light, okay. Yeah, you. Anyway, we could. Talk anyway, about we could talk about that time. much later. It's not what this podcast is about. Exactly. Okay. First of all, first of all, yeah. So we have so we have a number of things. We have he's the king of of peace. He is a priest of God most high. There's, he's someone who's able to instill a blessing. We haven't really seen that. Like you said in Genesis, since Noah gave it to his sons, but we also know something else. Melchizedek. And I thought you were going to head here. Melchizedek is not a name. It isn't. No. And it's I, a title. I, it's a title. And King we know of peace. No, you're close. Zedek mean, uh, Melchi means King, but son, Zedek, son of the, Peaceful king? Well, remember, he's the king of Salem, so that makes him a king of peace. Okay. But he's also king of Zedek. And Zedek, and w- the reason I know this, it's not because I'm super smart and I know Hebrew well. It's because Hebrews chapter 7 tells us. So, you know, my, my mantra is the Bible loves to interpret itself. 
So if right. there's a, a question in the Bible, you can often find the answer somewhere else in the Bible. Right. So the, there's only really three places in the whole Bible where Melchizedek is named. So he shows up here in Genesis 14. He shows up in Psalm 110, which is the psalm we get. And then the third time is in uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, right. where he is compared to Jesus. And we're told that Jesus is a priest in the line, line of, of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And if you don't know who Melchizedek is, you're like, okay. But Hebrews 7 says he is, by virtue of his name, the king of righteousness. King of righteousness. Right. So, so Zedek means righteousness. So, you know, you wouldn't name a child little king of righteousness. <laughs> Come here, king of righteousness. Come here, king That's king just of... pretentious. Yeah. So it, it's obviously a title. And, and, and we have precedent for that, right? So we, we name Jorge Bergoglio, when he became the pope, became Pope Francis. Right. He took on a, a titular title, right? Right. Joseph Ratzinger became Pope Benedict. So we have precedent for this. When someone takes a sort of authority, they will often take another name. So th- this is reasonable. So that's what Melchizedek is doing. So we know that whoever this is, oh. he's not named Melchizedek. He has another given name. He's the king of peace. He's the king of righteousness. He is a priest of God most high. He is one who can give a blessing. And so you were getting at it before. When is the last time we saw a blessing being given? Is with Noah. Noah, and he gave it to whom? Shem. To Shem, his firstborn son. And actually, this is interesting. Dude, nice. You are doing this so much more clearly than we did it last time. I, I kind of listened to last time. I was like, we can do this better. <laughs> but the other thing about that, that I find fascinating, so the whole, so much of, of Genesis in particular in the Old Testament in general is about the story of firstborn sons. Because remember, every firstborn son was originally supposed to be a priest, Absolutely. Those were supposed to be the priests of Israel. And and we see that later that you had actually had to give that up at the base of Mount Sinai. Yeah, that, exactly. That each firstborn son would give his priesthood to the Levitical order. And then what we see in the presentation is actually the recovery yeah. of the firstborn taking yeah. back the priesthood. Well, I mean... What's well, the opposite? Takes... What do you mean? Well, so when, and maybe this isn't what you were saying, but when a child is presented in the temple, so we have the, you know, the, what is it? The fourth joyful mystery. Right. Jesus' presentation. The present, the, the tradition of the presentation, a child would be taken to the temple and he would be presented before the Levitical priests and they would be given, what, a tribute, a tithe. And basically the parents would say, hey, thank you for doing the job that my oh. son was originally supposed to do. Here is the money to help you do it. But it's a recognition that, look, my firstborn son was supposed to be the priest, but because of the sin of our forefathers, you're doing it. So we present you with the authority, essentially, that was supposed to be endowed on our son, and we give it to you. Dude. Which is a heartbreak. I mean, if you really understand what's going on, that's a heartbreaking ceremony. Yes. But interestingly enough, the only firstborn son who is, well, at least in Genesis, the only firstborn son who is actually called a righteous firstborn son Uh is Shem. Oh. He's the only one that's called that. Oh. And he's one of the only ones that doesn't blow it as a firstborn son, but he's actually called a righteous firstborn son. Oh. So there's a lot of precedent. And if you do the math on people's ages, it actually matches up that Shem would actually be alive. If Shem is alive, I mean, think of the story. Noah was the patriarch of all humanity because everybody was destroyed in the flood. Noah and his family were saved. That means Noah is the father of everyone. Noah, as the father of everyone, passes on his fatherly blessing to Shem, and that would make Shem the most important person on earth yes, at this point. absolutely. A fitting person to give tribute to wow. or a tithe to. 
this is also so. But but this, how did Abram Abra Because this is Abraham. He's Abraham. No, he's Abram. Still. He's Abram. Still. Abram. How would Abram recognize this? And because be he's the most sense? important human on earth, and I bet everybody knew who Shem was. Really? Well, partially because he's like his great great grandfather, or whatever it would be. Right? I mean, right. this is the person from who everyone is descended descended from. So. And and again, he's the king of Salem. So even if you just wouldn't recognize him walking along the street, everybody knew that this guy is really, really important. Again, he's he's a pivotal figure in Big. humanity. Yeah, yeah. At this point, now the thing that that I think is cool, and here's where this kind of all comes. What does this have to do with the body and blood of Christ? Well, I mean, you, you can look at it. Well, he brings out the bread and wine. So maybe that's why the church chose this reading because it's this foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do. Well, yeah, that's a part of it, but it's more than that. Because, and it's Hebrews 7 that unlocks this. And in Hebrews 7, um, the author's given this juxtaposition between why the priesthood of Jesus is so far superior to the priesthood of the Levites. Basically, the book of Hebrews is this exhortation to, to Hebrew people who might be struggling in their faith and be tempted to kind of throw in the towel because Christianity is hard and confusing. Right. To say, no, 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 if you realize what we have, you could never go back. And so it's showing that Jesus and the priesthood he gives us is far greater than what the Levites had. Part of how it's doing that is by saying, look, Jesus is not a priest like the Levites. He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, what's Melchizedek? Well, he's not just a Levitical priest who was a priest because, you know, he had the right family tree and he was born into the right family and could produce his genealogy and all this stuff. He's a priest because he's a firstborn son. And he's not just a firstborn son. He's a firstborn son who is a priest and king. And he's a firstborn son who is a priest and a king and one who can bestow the father's blessing. Jesus is that. He is a priest king. He's the king of, of peace. He's the king of righteousness. He is the firstborn son, the only begotten son of the father. He gives his blessing to us. And not only does he bring bread and wine to the table, he actually makes himself into the bread and wine. And so the church is trying to, the church actually assumes a lot on us yeah, by giving us this first no, reading. Like, like a lot. And it's, it's not, so rich when you look at it, though. It is, and it's not this idea that, well, if, if you don't get it, you're going to miss it all. But I think the church wants us to dig a little deeper and say, okay, why, why when you're ordained as a priest, does the bishop say you're a priest forever in the, lay, in the line of Melchizedek? Like, well, why, why is that important? Like, I've heard that at ordinations, but what? Because I bring bread and wine. Well, there's got to be more to it than that. Well, because your priesthood is Jesus's priesthood, and Jesus is the preeminent firstborn son who is a priest and king and the king of peace and the king of righteousness and all of these things, the giver of the blessing and the most important human being who's ever existed, who right. is also God. All of these things are, are packaged into this, again, like you said, very short little reading. Wow. Boom. And there you have it. Boom. Which leads us into our psalm. Which is that psalm that you have prayed over you, you specifically and all priests exactly. in general, when you're ordained. You're a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. Here's what's cool about this. And I did steal this from our podcast three years ago. Okay. So I, but, but it's still true. But the, the, the context we need to know about Psalm 110, it is believed, and this is cool, it's believed that Psalm 110 was one of the psalms that would have been prayed over a king, a Davidic king, at his ordination ceremony. Mm. Which is ironic because, remember, by the time of King David, kings weren't allowed to be priests. There was a fine line, there was a strict line between priests and kings. And one could never be the other. Really? Yeah. So what you have is these kings having a priestly prayer prayed over them with the full knowledge that they can never actually be priests. 
which is ironic. But it, it's yeah. But what I mean, but why? Why would they have that? Why would that be a thing? Because there's only one reason I can think of. What? Which is what? That there's an there's somehow. I mean, there just has to be this this knowledge that. I mean, this is the whole nature of so much of the Old Testament, the, Deuteron- the Deuteronomic law, the law of Deuteronomy, the plan B law, this understanding that there was a better way, there was a greater reality yeah, and I was that we to- lost and we're looking forward to. And, and someday, so say the prophets, we're going to have a priest king again. Yeah, it's, So it, it creates a longing. Yeah, it, it's almost like I was trying to preach about this this last weekend of saying like, when something is in lack and we recognize it, it in and of itself becomes a promise. The lack itself becomes promise. That, that yeah. so, so, so when we look at the priest king of Melchizedek, the lack and even the, the like, like it's it's like you're prayed over this this prayer. You're going to be a priest, and you know that that's not actually going to be the reality. Like, yeah, it would it it, it would. It really would have a telos. It has it has a point. It has it has a directionality. Especially if you remember the story and you know that there was actually a time when I was supposed to be a priest king, right? Or when the kings were supposed to be priests and vice versa, right? So there should be a pain of the past, but also an anticipation of the future and what God is going to do. Mm-hmm. Which is again why the the stair steps of how the scriptures work in the liturgy. This this one fits really well. Yeah. So. That's really all I have to say about the psalm, which says a lot, granted. Yeah. Well, then we can move Speaking on to 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. <laughs> yeah, in the first Corinthians, um, this comes in the... Uh, Paul writes his letter to the Corinthians, who are just a disaster of a church, right? They're, they're, they're constantly messing up. They're sinful. They're hedonistic. And not just the culture, but the church itself. There's people, you know, he has to excommunicate someone for... For doing in, stuff in, in, that's like way beyond, yeah, yeah, bad stuff. That's that way way beyond what anybody should be doing, and they're trying to like make themselves okay in the community. He's like, you right. know, this is you. You actually commend them to Satan yeah. in, with hope that they repent. Like Corinth was was a mass, and not just Corinth, but the church in Corinth. Which well, that's the thing. I mean, you expect Corinth to be messy. You don't expect the church to have the mm. same kinds of sins. You know. Yep. It's like. I mean, not to, well, I could, you can think of all sorts of examples why Catholics in so many realms or Christians are just as bad sometimes as the rest of the culture. We're supposed to be the ones set apart. You know, we're supposed yep. to be living differently, yep. but so often we're just as bad, if not worse. Anyway, so that's the context. And the, the even more specific context in this part of 1 Corinthians, he's exhorting them on how to, how to practice the liturgy better. And he, he, you know, he reprimanded people for talking in mass. He talked about the way that women should present themselves, you know, all sorts of things in the context of the liturgy. And also like how food was being done and like how, how the Eucharist was related to other meals and like. Yeah, which comes pe- immediately after this. Which was this expression of like the rich and the poor and the divisions. Yeah. The divisions were starting to be emphasized rather than uh, minimized. And, yes. And so he, he's like, he's like, no, no, you are one body. Yeah. One body in Christ. And we do not stand alone (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm trying to think of the next line of the song anyway yeah and so here kind of in the heart of it he's like here's why because these are the words that jesus spoke and so what we get here in this reading is literally the words that jesus spoke at the last supper because paul knows they need to be reminded 
just like when you're ordained, you need to be reminded of what kind of priesthood you have. Yes. That the kings in Israel needed to be reminded of where they came from and where hopefully God is taking them. Mm-hmm. It's this it's this nature of don't forget what you have. And 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 the thing that's that's such a neat connection in these readings, the way the liturgy presents them to us, you know, you have Melchizedek in the beginning presenting bread and wine. And and, and actually what it says in Hebrew in the first reading. What we read is he brought out bread and wine, and being a priest of God Most High, he blessed Abram. But in the Hebrew, it actually says he brought out bread and wine because he was a priest of God Most High. That is his priestly sacrifice, which is unprecedented. There's been priests before. They offer animals and all sorts of things. There's no other precedent anywhere in the Bible, as far as I can tell. Are you saying Abram brought that out? No, no Melchizedek. Melchizedek brought out bread and wine, which was a totally new expression. Yeah, I mean, there's the grain offering. There's all sorts of things that are kind of like that but it's real kind of it's really the first clear indicator of the sacrifice that jesus is going to take up and make into his body and blood but then yeah jesus as Melchizedek, as the new melchizedek doesn't just bring out bread and wine he is the bread and wine which just totally goes so far beyond anything even if you're a, a, a good israelite and you're seeing the story and you're anticipating the future Never are you thinking, oh, yeah, he's going to become the bread and wine. That makes sense. That's how he's a priest like Melchizedek. Yeah. Wait, what? Huh? And he's going to make himself available, which is why Paul can then go on and um, he exhort his, his listeners about abusing the poor and, and doing all these things and fighting in the community. Because don't you realize that you're in the midst of you? You're actually receiving... Jesus himself, the new Melchizedek, the priest of priests, the king of kings, he's receiving, being received into your body, and then you're going out and abusing the poor and bickering and fighting and doing all these horrible things. Do you not realize what you have? Mm. And, and the beauty of the liturgy and the way she presents this, Abram should have had a big... I mean, the, the story of Corinth is about a church who has a really big head and think, thinks they're great and knows they have great leaders and great teachers and great sophistry and they've got their philosophies and all this stuff because they're Greeks and they're powerful and they're rich and all this stuff. And then you got Abram, who is at this point one of the most powerful men on earth because he just defeated every king. But the king of kings, Abram at this moment, who's just won the battle, should be as high on himself as you could possibly be, <laughs> at that moment submits himself, it's humbles just so himself. wild. And he's saying that is what you Corinthians need to do. If, yes. you, if you only realized someone so far greater than Melchizedek is standing before you. Look at Abram. He submitted himself. Can you do no less for the, the king of kings, the god of the universe? That's kind of like what I expect within the podcast itself. Mm, that I submit myself to you? <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, you're welcome. I just figured that I would bring it in an absurdity. Yeah. Sequence, 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 sequence. <laughs> we would never <laughs> preach on the sequence, and that's just fine. Because it's not the scriptures. We love the sequence. It's beautiful. It's liturgical. It's but we Poetic. made a disca- We made a it's decision. It's rhyming. It is rhymy. We're all bobbing back and forth. It's really hard to actually. I wish you guys could have seen Scott and I just kind of like we look going like, the like peanuts. Oh, peanuts. That's right, not the Muppets. But that takes us to Luke. The crowds, meanwhile, learned of this and followed him. <clears throat> what did they learn of? They learned of all of it. Is that was that how your start? No, wow. Jesus spoke to the crowds about the kingdom of God, and oh. he healed those who needed to be cured. And as the day was drawing to a close, the twelve approached him and said, "Hey, dismiss the crowds so that they can go into the surrounding farms and villages and find lodging and provisions." So they're out in the wilderness, right? They're out in the hill country. He's doing all these things. There's all these crowds. He's healing them. 
And the apostles start to get a little freaked out because they're like, okay, we should probably wrap this up, Jesus. It's starting to get late. They're going to start asking us for food pretty soon. We don't have anything to offer them. We got nothing. The 7-Elevens are all about to close in the town. So just, you should probably wrap this up Costco. Costco is going to close. You can't get this popcorn. But you you can kind of sense the apostles' fear for good reason. Okay, this is going to be a mob scene in a little while because this is getting crazy. Yep. So their good sense is saying, we got to wrap this this little Jesus show up because we're in the desert. And Jesus said to them, go and give them food yourselves. Right. And they got to be like, you've got, I mean, on some level, I, I wonder, I was reading this earlier, and I wonder if on some level the apostles are like, shoot, I knew you were going to say something like that. <laughs> like, I knew you were going to try to challenge us. We don't have anything, Jesus. You always <laughs> do this to us. <laughs> and he's always faithful, but... And so they're like, we only have five loaves and two fish. That's all we've got. Unless we ourselves, okay, maybe we can go to Costco. Peter, do you have the Costco card? Okay, I do. Maybe we can go do it. <laughs> and they were numbered about 5,000. The men alone were numbered to 5,000. And then Jesus like, all right, fine. Have them sit down in groups of 50. Which, uh, is, isn't, there, isn't there another moment where Gideon has a bunch of people sit down in 50... And then he's actually trying to select a small arm. I, I th- this is one of those ones where I'm like, I know there's a reference, and Scott Scott's giving me the eyeball, like, dude, do not ask me that question. As if I you're like, I know that I'm supposed to know this, but Scott, it's okay, dude. You don't know everything, Father Peter. I don't know. You're a doctor. I am, and and it's okay that you don't know everything. No, I don't know this. Yeah, maybe the the it, it rings a bell. I don't know. Ring my bell, ring my bell, <laughs> ring dong, ring it, ring it dong. By the way, something to note. I'm gonna look in my verbum and see if I can find it. Verbum. Something to note, though. <laughs> that was really, that was really <laughs> condescending. It wasn't meant to be. That's okay. Good. At the end of chapter nine, so we're in chapter nine. We're kind of midway through chapter nine. At the end of chapter nine, Jesus is going to, in earnest, start to make his way toward Jerusalem, which is where the cross is going to be waiting for him. So, this is all kind of beginning to set us up for the journey to the cross. So, you, you see, even in the Gospel of Luke, things begin. Um, heating up in a certain sense. One other thing that's important, this story about the multiplications of the loaves and the fish, aside from the resurrection, you're going to want to hear this, Father Peter. Okay, okay, sorry. Aside I was looking from, for no, I know, but you're, you're going to think this is interesting. Aside from the resurrection, this is the only miracle that is included in all four Gospels. Really? Aside from the resurrection, this is the only one that every Gospel includes. The five loaves, two fish? Mm-hmm. Wow. Or the, I, I don't know if they all loves loaves uh, yeah the loaves, loaves and, the fish. and fish even if they don't designate the number yeah which is which tells you like okay, this, this is, is a big very one. significant this is an important one we, and we and we're what are we getting it from we're getting it from Luke um, Luke. Luke nine yeah so they sit down in groups of fifty um, they all sat down they took the loaves and the fish they looked up to heaven and and Jesus took looked up to heaven he said the blessing over them he broke them he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd they all ate and they were satisfied they had all this leftover 12 wicker baskets um we probably talked about this last time 3 years ago i don't remember but really this 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 ye- this mass this liturgy it's it's corpus christi and so obviously it is about the body of christ but in large part, it's also about the priesthood. That's the whole nature of the Melchizedek readings, right? Jesus is the high priest par excellence. You are only a priest because of your um, being connected to Jesus and his priesthood. But it's about the priesthood. And what's interesting about this story is that Jesus, if you notice, 
never gives a single person the food. Does he? He no, doesn't give it to he anybody gives it in the, to the apostles. He gives it to the apostles and he says, no, 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 yeah. it's your job to do this. Jesus does the, ble- and actually the words Luke uses, he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. Those are the exact same words he's going to use in the Last Supper when he takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it. So Jesus is doing it, but then he puts it into the hands of the apostles to actually take it to the people. They, this is, in a certain sense, one of their first priestly actions. He's designated them as priests to go and do this, which is, it's really powerful. And, and you get this imagery of you know, the apostles just going back to Jesus again and again. They go out to the people, they spend themselves, they give away all they have, and then they come running back to Jesus. And they're like, we need some more. And then they go back to the crowds and they it's, give them more and then they come running back to Jesus. It's one of the most exciting, exciting uh, uh like gifts of of grace and like how that is perceived because I mean the nervousness of them how they're yeah. receiving it and then being able to turn around and then give it and then being like oh no is he gonna have more and he just keeps giving it yeah yeah it keeps coming yep to the extent that it there's all this leftover and I was thinking about numbers we talked a little bit about the numbers right but the twelve wicker baskets are leftover okay so why twelve baskets. Well, of course, 12, you can think of the 12 apostles, right? But the 12 apostles are 12 apostles because they represent the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Right. And I was thinking about this. Okay, I was like, oh, so it represents the 12 tribes. That's great. But then I was thinking a little bit more. And and what we know is that Israel was hoping and waiting and expecting. Because Israel, by the time of Jesus, remember, Israel is scattered. They're a fraction of Israel. There's most of the, the, the tribe of Judah, some of Benjamin, and the rest of Israel is just gone. And everyone's waiting for the day that God's going to restore the 12 tribes of Israel. Absolutely. I mean, that and, is the essence. I mean, that's like, the, to, I mean, that's the essence of the promise. And then you have these 12 wicker baskets, which represent Israel. But what's the thing about the baskets is that they're overflowing. And what I was taking from it is that it's this idea that not only is God going to restore Israel, he's going to restore it and then some. Yeah. And he's going to make it over. It's going to be Israel, but Israel overflowing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think back to the psalm reading. You know, you're a king. You're being ordained as, or you're being anointed as the king of Israel. But you're made to think greater than yourself. That there's something greater coming. God's going to do more than what I can see. And that's what these 12 overflowing baskets are showing. That God is going to restore all of Israel, but he's going to do it over abundantly. And it's not just going to be the 12 tribes, but it's going to be all peoples, nations, tongues, and tribes of the earth are going to be brought into these 12 tribes so that the 12 tribes don't even fit. It's overflowing out of them. And that's what we should expect God to do in our lives. Yeah, he's going to fix our problems, but he's going to do it in a way that's probably unexpected and is going to be overabundant in and Eucharistic and Eucharistic in its fecundancy. Take that. Boom. Yeah, which is cool. Which leads us back to, I mean, the the abundance of blessing that that the Lord actually took the scandal of particularity and started off and won until he was actually able to get the multiplication that he has longed for. Mm. The fruitfulness of Mm. being able to actually return to Christ Mm. and to receive from him, to encounter him, and then accompany and bring others into this Eucharistic life that we live. I mean, like Mm. it's so straightforward. The body and blood of Christ is a center of our experience. Mm. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ present never ending and will accompany us until the end of all time. Indeed. 
the angels long to feast upon this bread from heaven and they got no bodies. You can't do nothing, but we love Don't you still. Don't trash talk the angels. I'm really not trying to trash, trash talk the angels. <laughs> that is never a good idea. I know. That was not what I, you got to erase know, that. No, I was just like, it's good. No, it's cause funny. like I'm no, just no, so excited that I'm a, I am a human and you that I get be. to experience this, such intimacy in the divine life. And the angels are in awe. And they Which want to assist cool. that and, yeah. and love that. And yeah. Except it's pretty for, beautiful. Except for the bad angels. Yeah, they're they're a different story, though. Yeah. Anyway, we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Coming from our studio space deep in the heart of the Catholic Center. We might be at Camp Boy 2 next week. So take that. We will be back. Have a great Corpus Christi Sunday, everyone. And we will see you then. Process on. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.